I was like either about to graduate or just graduated, yeah. something like that. And um, I still was like really into fashion. Mm-hmm. So um, I was like, you know, I'm about to graduate. <laughs> do I try to do fashion mm-hmm. or do I do sports? Yep. So I'm, you know, I had spent the last four years in college sports, mm-hmm. but I'm still with my friends, right? Creating looks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of our big ones was the velour sweatsuit. Okay. Really into that. <laughs> And um, he had got a job at Adidas. Okay. And so he, you know, was like, are you interested in maybe doing something like this? This would be an opportunity where sports could kind of meet fashion Hmm. because it was in originals. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the time, the team was very small. And he just, you know, kind of put it out there like, just think about it. You don't have to do it. Just try it out. And so I ended up applying Mm -hmm. and um, I met the team. The role that I interviewed for was all wrong for me. (laughs) This is Claim of Stories, a show about professionals working in the sportswear industry and the incredible careers they've been able to claim. Welcome to the Creative Stage. I'm Bima, and on today's show, we learn how LaToya Manley went from creating her own fashion designs as a teenager in Portland, Oregon, to managing the growth of the women's business in North America for one of the most iconic brands in sportswear history. Currently, LaToya is Director of Merchandising for Women's at Jordan Brand North America. Since 2007, LaToya has been a true champion for women of color in the sportswear industry. Along the way, she's been a product manager at Adidas and even moved to Boston to help Converse grow the energy and women's product lines. Although her dad is from Sierra Leone and her mom is from Southern California, LaToya grew up in Portland, Oregon. In her episode ahead, she recalls being in a lot of places where she didn't see people that looked like her. It was interesting growing up here. Like I tell people it is very white. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't really get around that. Yeah. But it's really about how you choose to give your kids exposure. And I think my parents did a really good job of making sure there was a balance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were still really um, embedded in the culture. Yeah. Specifically, um, my father's from Sierra Leone, okay. which is a country in West Africa. Mm-hmm. And there is a Sierra Leonean community here. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And so just like making sure that we were a part of that and learning about our culture. Um, when I was younger, the uh, country was war-torn. So oh, wow. there was just a civil war that went on for a very long time. Hmm. But just like, you know, making sure you have the awareness of mm-hmm. what's happening outside of Portland. Yes. So you look at Portland with a different perspective. Right. Yeah. Right. So Because there's... You know, sometimes we can definitely very much be in a bubble in our certain environments. And it's so easy to live here. I tell people that all the time. Like, if you live on the East Coast or even L.A., even though, like, that's, like, you know, way more relaxed than the East Coast. But (laughs) just living in different cities or different countries, um, you know, it's a process sometimes to do things. Oh, yeah. Like, you want to move. How do you figure that out? Right. You know, you got to rent this and schedule time (laughs) with your building. You know, it's all these rules and processes and... um, Portland is just like, you You can do anything. You can get anywhere in a short amount of time. Exactly. You, you know, you have access <laughs> to things. You hop over to the airport. It's yeah. like easy breezy. It's like, you know, it, yeah. it just becomes really easy to live here. Mm-hmm. So just being aware of that, you know, that privilege, yeah. honestly, that it's not as easy for other people. And then you kind of look at it a little different. You look mm-hmm. at your place in society, your place growing up. Right. Um, 
And so we had that awareness as children really early. Yeah. So I think we just grew up with a little bit more um, empathy for mm-hmm. other people and then not taking advantage of, you know, the easiness yeah. or, you know, maybe being the only black person in the class, things mm-hmm. like that. You just kind of look at it differently and just yeah. be more grateful of your situation. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing that you were able to have that perspective at such a, a young age. I didn't think about it like that yeah. until, you know, maybe like post-college. And yeah. then I was and like, oh, back. like... That was cool that they, you know, did that for us because yeah. I didn't think about it at all. But then I got to be an adult and was like, oh, good job, parents. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you had mentioned getting exposure to different cultures at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, what was some of that like to you? You know, what were some of your earliest memories of those experiences? Mm-hmm. Um, I think earliest memories, just like... I didn't really play sports, Uh, but I went to a lot of sport activities. I was into dance and Mm. cheer and things like that. Um, But those kind of things, doing those activities with other black kids, Mm -hmm. other black girls, um, you know, just being around the music and having people who... um, you know, like we would go to the pool, but we had like rules to go into the pool. Yes. Like you can't just be jumping in the pool. Your mom didn't know you was getting your hair wet. So like things like that, you know, just having people who were like you and are like me to do things with and grow up and learn um, because it didn't necessarily happen at my school. So mm-hmm. I had to find those activities mm-hmm. outside, whether it was like community centers or camps, mm-hmm. um, church, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So were those things pretty big from as far as like your um, uh, your growth as a, as a, in your childhood, just going mm-hmm. to these camps and, and being a part of a lot of these um, after school programs? Yeah, it was pretty big. I also have an older sister. So okay. she's five years older. So I had somebody to like watch and follow <laughs> around and get into whatever activities yep. that she was in. So she kind of led me in that way. So whatever she was doing, I just kind of idolized her. So mm-hmm. whatever she wanted to do, That's, I wanted to do. Whatever she wanted to wear, I wanted to wear. So <laughs> wherever she was going, I ended up kind of naturally following in that path because I just thought she was the best person in the, on the planet. Um, so that probably is how I got more involved in, in things because yeah. they were already exposed to her first. Yeah. Uh, and then I kind of hopped on. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I also read that um, your dad would come home with uh, different art pieces from his travels from work abroad. Um, and that sort of had an impact on you. Can you tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about that? Um. Yeah, so my dad was in politics for for years and years. So he was at one point the, um, they call him like the minister of finance. Mm -hmm. So he worked in government in Sierra Leone and then um, for the states also. So he would spend a lot of time traveling. So we did kind of grow up like back and forth and Mm -hmm. and with him in home and out of home. But he would always bring home things (laughs) from his travels because, you know, he'd be gone for, it could be a month, could be three months, things like that. So he would bring home a lot of art from different countries. Um, a lot of African art mm-hmm. for, for sure. I think that was just something he was passionate about. Yeah, he wanted to bring it home to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And then just having that in the house. So we still, I'm actually staying at my parents' house right now while we're moving, yeah. but they have a ton of art. Um, you know, a lot of masks, mm-hmm. a lot of sculptures, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, a lot of artifacts, like yeah. just things from his village wow. that we just would have to get to know more about, you know, where he was from. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom is really into like black African-American art. Okay. So that's just something she was just collecting, I think maybe like after college or something, she just yeah. started to pick that up. So wow. there's a lot of like black art, African art in our home that that's just what I kind of grew up 
right. seeing. I didn't even know that. <laughs> you know how like you don't really know you it's don't know art. the significance. Yeah. yeah, you know it's there, it's but you you haven't. <laughs> you don't have that world experience right. yet to understand. What just this like is. oh, this is just something that hangs in our house. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm always like, are you done with this? Yeah, can, can, I have we, this? can we take this to our house? <laughs> are they pretty protective? Over um, yeah, my mom's always promising me something. <laughs> yeah, sure, you can have that, you know, in a couple of years, you can take that. Or just every once in a while, she'll yeah. give me things. But she usually gifts us with art. Okay. You know, like okay. um, when I graduated college or when I got my first home, those mm-hmm. were the kind of things That's that okay. she gave us. Okay. And what were some of your interests as a, a teenager? Um, was it any sports or any fashion, art? Um, what, were, what, were, what was your, your interest? I think my biggest interest was probably fashion. Okay. Um, it's so funny, like looking back and thinking that you really had this great sense of fashion, <laughs> like, oh yeah, I had this style, mm-hmm. but not at all. <laughs> um, and it's so weird too. Cause you're, I always say like high school kind of like solidifies who you are as a person. I don't know what it is about high school. Like I have no idea behind the science mm-hmm. or the psychology, but like you just become more of yourself as an adult than yeah. whoever you were in high school. So I'm always trying to figure out like who were you in high school? Who were you? What you know, happened? Were you a class clown? <laughs> you know, things like that. Yeah. But um I was really into just kind of creating a look that nobody had. Mm-hmm. So if everybody was wearing one thing, I just wanted to wear something different, yeah. but not necessarily wanting to stand out. Just one now. Just your wanted own to lane. not yeah. match. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> And, you know, like, I didn't want to be too different. Just wanted to kind of fit in still. But I didn't want to, like, us all to be having on the same thing. And I used to... um, I'm really big on like the whole look. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not just the the hat or no. or the or the sneakers or Mm-mm. the you know the belt. It was like belt. you had to have everything <laughs> together. And I would paint my nails every single night every to night? match whatever I was wearing the next day. <laughs> and that was like a really big deal. So I thought I wanted to work in fashion for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point as a teenager, there was this um, club kind of thing like an internship club it was mm. called the Nordstrom's Fashion Board okay and you got to like dive into what it was like to work in fashion wow I, when I thought about it as an adult I was like oh really this is like one big focus group yeah yeah but <laughs> <laughs> and you would go to the office and you would um have these challenges like uh, create your perfect dream board hmm. of you know what you want prom to look like mm-hmm. or how you see yourself your first year of college or something like this that. This is definitely right? a focus group. <laughs> but I took it so seriously. I was so passionate about it, and so like that was like a huge was, interest for me. And mm-hmm. I I was in um, school right around the time like blogging started mm-hmm. becoming you know kind of a little thing. It's yeah. like blogger.com. So I would blog with my friends and stuff, and you know we would take pictures of things mm-hmm. and. I was always sketching something. Um, Never thought I would be a designer per se, but I just liked having some ideas and seeing them come to fruition. Right. Yeah. Where did Where did that come from? Was it? Did you? Was your sister also in the fashion, or you know, were there fashion icons Mm -hmm. that kind of just started? You really just started to engage and relate to. Um, My sister wasn't into fashion, but she was like really well dressed. Hmm. So like she didn't make it a thing. Yeah. She just always looked cute. <laughs> yeah. My mom and dad were both pretty stylish people okay. in their time. And my mom would like get really, you know, dressed yeah. up for work. So I do remember like shopping with my mom and like me p- picking out like, oh, when I go to work, I'm going to wear this. <laughs> I'm going to wear this suit. 
these shoes. I'm like, I definitely have those memories. So I think I got it from from my mom. And then when I look back at her photos from like the 70s, mm-hmm. she for sure had a full kit and a fro. <laughs> and like, you know, she looked like she Come took on. some time right. to put this together. Right, yeah. right. And so when when after this this Nordstrom project, uh, mm-hmm. this internship, did you also ever make any of your own like fashion pieces or anything like that? A couple of times. Yeah. A couple of times I worked with a little, um, there was a lady who had a dress shop mm-hmm. just kind of by our house. Um, not quite walking distance, but close to but close, close enough to our and house. That was in Northeast Portland. Uh-huh, in okay. Northeast Portland. And she made um she made a dress for me that I had kind of sketched. Hmm. My mom actually made because she can sew too. Wow. Um, she made a couple of dresses I wore to like um prom or winter formal dances, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I would sketch it out. We went and like look for patterns <laughs> and fabric and she would make something because I always wanted something that was like simple and classy. But again, like nobody else could wear it or look like it. So if you see the dresses, you're like, oh, I'm sure you could have found this somewhere. Yeah. But that's not the process. That's not the process. <laughs> yeah. So safe to say mom was a, a strong fashion influence. Um, your sister had some style too. Mm-hmm. Uh, were there any uh, celebrity icons as well? I was obsessed with like Tyra Banks mm. and Brandy mm-hmm. in terms of like fashion, like when uh, Moesha, yeah. Moesha, when Moesha was on, I would recreate those looks yeah. for sure. Um, and because nobody was like dressing like Moesha. <laughs> but I remember she had a lot of accessories. She was like mm-hmm. heavy into um, scarves mm-hmm. and beads. And I would do a lot of that uh trying to like, you know, tie it around my waist or yeah. do something different with it. <laughs> but for sure, those those two were high on the list. High on the yeah. list. So um, you ended up attending Oregon State University mm-hmm. for college, uh, for your undergraduate degree. And that was uh, 2001, 2005. Mm-hmm. Were you thinking you wanted to pursue a career in fashion then? Where, where was your No. Head? Actually, when I was in high school, I wanted to be a VJ. A VJ. Do you remember like <laughs> like an MTV TRL VJ? I wanted to be like Ananda Lewis. Yes. So, yes. It's <laughs> like I'm gonna be like Ananda Lewis, and you know I would go to school. I had good grades and stuff, so yeah. like nobody really sweated me from my parents, you know, point of view. But I really just wanted to do that. <laughs> so when it was time to like go to college, I was like, I don't need to go to college because I want to be a VJ. Be a VJ. <laughs> so. I did like some auditions and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of serious about it. Wait, I'm where were these auditions like at? in LA. Oh, wow. You were really serious. <laughs> I was serious. <laughs> not even knowing that like 10 years later, there are no BJs, but <laughs> it's not a job. But um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a BJ. Uh, my dad was like, you know, maybe you want to look at some backup <laughs> options. You just maybe go to school. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I ended up like only applying to a couple schools and in, in Oregon if you have like a certain GPA you're kind of mm-hmm. like a shoe in it's just kind of like you just right. roll into school yeah um and so I ended up like getting into maybe three or four schools and um I'm still like I'm gonna be a VJ anyway mm-hmm. my dad's like maybe you want to think about maybe it you want to think about it but yeah my mom's like you're going to school I was like no, I'm not. <laughs> and so then it's kind of like summer's over like, yeah, you gotta yeah. do something yeah so I ended up going to Oregon State as like let me just go to school yeah you know like what can hurt <laughs> I'm sure I can still be a VJ you'll be okay let me go to school my parents are gonna you know help support me mm-hmm. it's fine 
just go you'd learn. Be good. Mm-hmm. And did you like have a degree picked out? I didn't. That I had no degree, but I knew I or wanted major, to get sorry. out in or no degree, no <laughs> major. But I knew I wanted to get out in four years. Like I was okay. very serious about four years. And at this time, I think this is when institutions were, you know, kind of um, gearing students to take mm. your time. Mm-hmm. It became like a real business. Yes. Um, and I kind of put that together in my head. Like, you don't really need to hang out okay. here. <laughs> and then I would hear my mom graduated in three years. Oh, wow. Um, my dad, he had like different levels of education when he came over to the States, but he didn't spend a ton of time in college. And so I'm like... I, I'm pretty sure you don't have to stay here for a long time, but I had no idea what I wanted to do outside yeah. of being a VJ. Um, and I remember going to the counselor's office and she's like, take your time. And hmm. I was like, no, I have four years. No, no, no. I, I, I have four. I got four years and I'm getting, and I'm out, getting of out of here. <laughs> and then I'm going to be a VJ. Um, so what did you end up deciding And so on? I ended up deciding on business because I felt like if nothing else... You, you'll be okay. Yes. You can work somewhere if you have a business degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were other things I was interested in, you okay. know, like um, not knowing specifically, <laughs> but, you know, as a vision board, I could see yes. myself walking into a company with my name on the building. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. hey, I better get a business degree, <laughs> right? Like that's literally how I put it together. And so yeah. then I ended up majoring in business. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one thing I wanted to ask you about growing up here in Portland um, there are a lot of people that are from Portland that also work at some of these major sportswear mm-hmm. brands. Did you feel like it was a part of the culture growing up that that was a career goal for like a lot of your friends and, it's and peers? It's so funny. No. No. Um, and I actually knew people who work for the brands. Mm-hmm. And I still didn't feel like, you know, that's a path or like that's what you do is you graduate, you go to school and then yeah. you go to Nike or Adidas. I I'd never really thought of it like that. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure why. I think maybe they just weren't like, you know, involved in the schools. You just gotcha. didn't see a lot of representation. Mm-hmm. But like everyone knew that Portland was Nike town. Yeah. You know, all the kids would go to the ES on Saturdays. <laughs> like it was definitely part of, you know, um, culture in terms of like what we were wearing yeah. or um, what we were doing. But it wasn't like this is kind of a career path. Yeah. No. Mm-mm. Hmm. Yeah. And so when did you start to uh, decide like kind of a direction of which you, you want to go in? Um, you know, because you're, 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 you're on this path where you're like, I'm getting out of here in four mm-hmm. years. And then what are you thinking about career wise? What's next? Um, so, you know, when you go to like a big university, there's just sports is a big deal. Yes. Uh, at, our, at the time, our football team was really good. Okay. Baseball team was pretty good. Yeah. So sports was like super active. We would go to mm-hmm. the games because it's what you do What'd in you Corvallis, do? Oregon. <laughs> go to the games. You go, go to the sleep. games. <laughs> um, so we would go to the games and I just um, kind of realized that it was a different kind of community. Like I never really cared about rivalries until I got to college. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, I got to get the t-shirt and, you know, the sports gear. And like, I'm I'm in here. And I could care less about the actual rivalry when I was in high school. I Mm -hmm. had friends who played sports and I would support them. But that wasn't a big deal. Like you win or you lose and you play the next game. Like it was literally like, that's how I thought about it. And I got to college. I was like, I hate the Ducks. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just super passionate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of realized that that community um, is created around the culture of sport. Yeah. And even if you don't play sports, you can still be a part, part of, of it. it. Mm-hmm. And you would see people, you know, like high-fiving strangers and like giving hugs, and, yeah. you know, where you don't see that normally. Like you don't right. just go outside and people are like, no. 
we're pals. Yeah. <laughs> but in that three hours or whatever, you know, that that time of uh, that length of time is people mm-hmm. forget about their like problems. They're supporting their team. Mm-hmm. They're making friends. And I just felt like that was something I wanted to be involved in. Yeah. Um, and that's how I decided I really wanted to work around sport or sport culture. Mm-hmm. And um, it was also like I know there it's pretty male dominated. Yes. Um, just being the nature of sports and so um i just kind of looked at it as a challenge like mm. you know what are, who are the women working in sports mm. um how could i get in, involved mm-hmm. and you know what what does that look like for somebody for who sure. doesn't play yeah it has no history no history but can I, they just come interest. in and be a part of it mm. mm-hmm. and so what was your from a professional sense what was your first opportunity to get an understanding of of maybe the sport business side of things mm-hmm. um so i i just Having that in my head, I decided to try to intern with mm-hmm. the sports brands. Okay. And um, at that school at Oregon State, the sports programs were marketed by an outside agency. Okay. It was actually called Beaver Sports Properties. They set on campus, but they were outside. Um, but I found that out just doing a little research. Mm-hmm. And I went to the office and asked them if I could be an intern. Mm-hmm. Um, or, do you know, do they have internships? Yeah. Like, what's the process? And they didn't have an intern. They hadn't had one before. And there was oh, wow. just a small team, maybe like five or six people working in mm-hmm. there. And they did the um, football, basketball, and baseball programs. Okay. And they were like, sure. Um, you know, being an intern means this is what I learned. <laughs> when I was an intern, you know how you go to the games Yes. And you open up those little pamphlets and there's like dominoes or something yes. in there. That's yes. what I did for like five hours. <clears throat> and so, you know, after I did a really good job yeah, stuffing yeah. those pamphlets, stuffing. <laughs> they let me start going to meetings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and just seeing like what it meant to have a meeting with a sponsorship mm. um, or, or a vendor or like creating sponsorships for yep. the team. Or what it meant to have VIP, mm-hmm. you know, for the games. Like, mm-hmm. what does that actually involve? Mm-hmm. And I just got to see, like, oh, this is a real business. Like, there's definitely, and it's outside of the school. Yes. So you, you had that perspective, too, because right. it was, like, a different agency. Mm-hmm. Um, they had different interests. But, you know, little by little, they just kind of took me under their wing. Yeah. Um, and then I worked there for a couple of years. But that was my first, like inside into sports um i would end up meeting a lot of like um the recruiters who would come from like the leagues and Mm -hmm. then getting that inside like oh you come here to see this and we partner with you and it just kind of laid it out um and i would never see any women Hmm. so so it's just that always it was just always men just always men men all the time and i'm always like how come there are no women every once in a while you see one Mm -hmm. um not with a lot of decision-making power. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely like a question I would have. Like, there's no women like, who work what's, here. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, so hmm. that was, yeah. Did you ever feel, did you see it as a deterrent or were you more encouraged to to say, oh, well, no, I'm going to I'm gonna go in there and make a way? I think um, at the beginning, it may have been a little deterrent in terms of like speaking up or having a point of view that I thought someone would be interested in mm-hmm. because... Um, I know it would be different. Yes. And so that was kind of a little nerve wracking, a little scary. But I also did see it as a challenge. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm pretty sure if you are, you know, strong minded and you put your head to this, you could probably get in this door. So just mm-hmm. keep trying. for the culture of sport to interning at Adidas Originals in Portland, Oregon, with a focus on marketing for Missy Elliott. Stay with us. I'm Bima, and you're listening to Claim of Stories. Claim of Stories comes from Portland State University's Athletic and Outdoor Industry Certificate. 
Interested in claiming a career at companies like Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, or Keen? They can help by providing you with hands-on experience and connections to industry insiders. Visit pdx.edu and search Athletic and Outdoor Industry Certificate. So it's 2006, and Latoya is just graduating from Oregon State University. With the help of a former colleague, a door opened for her to land an internship with Adidas Originals. Beaver Sports, and then kind of parlayed that into um, another internship. I ended up uh, working at the Blazers for a little while. And then one of my old team members, he was kind of the head of our team from the Blazers, went to Adidas. Mm -hmm. And at this time, I was like either about to graduate or just graduated, something like that. And um, I still was like really into fashion. Mm -hmm. So um, I was like, you know, I'm about to graduate. (laughs) Do I try to do fashion Mm -hmm. or do I do sports? So, you know, I had spent the last four years in college sports, Mm -hmm. but I'm still with my friends. Right. Creating looks. Yeah. Um, (laughs) One of our big ones was the velour sweatsuit. Okay. really into that. (laughs) And um, he had got a job at Adidas. Okay. And so he, you know, was like, are you interested in maybe doing something like this? This would be an opportunity where sports could kind of meet fashion Hmm. because it was in originals. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the time, the team was very small. And he just, you know, kind of put it out there, like, just think about it. You don't have to do it. Just try it out. And so I ended up applying Mm -hmm. and um, I met the team. The role that I interviewed for was all wrong for me. (laughs) It was was like a skate, you know, at the time they were calling it coastal, something <laughs> like, I don't even get my hair wet. I'm not about this life. And so I didn't, they, the team met me and they really were like, we definitely clicked right. and it was fun. They're like, mm, I don't know if she's the right fit. Mm-hmm. And there was another role on the urban team, okay. um, which at the time was like spearheaded by the Missy Elliott mm-hmm. situation, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was perfect for me. So uh, it ended up working out. And then I started and I stayed there for I don't know, eight years. Wow. And so years. when was that start? That was 2000... That was 2006. Six, 2006? Yep. Okay. And five, so you're there... Five or six? Five. five or 2005, five. and then I got like a real job. Okay. <laughs> so you got yeah. a real job. And so primarily <laughs> most of your, your, your roles while you were there were in product marketing, mm-hmm. right? Can you tell us a little bit about like, what are the responsibilities of product marketing? Um, at that time... Yeah. Everything was your responsibility. <laughs> You're kind of responsible for um, building product that was for a consumer type. And like at the end of the day, like that's probably the most simple way that, that I kind of either explained it or understood it for myself. Yep. Um, so when I started, I was working, um, I want to say kids was my first product mm-hmm. marketing job, like kids SMUs mm-hmm. or something like okay. that, kids regionals. Um and I would just have to see, you know, what translated from grownups mm-hmm. to kids mm-hmm. and if they would respond to it yeah. or their parents would respond to <laughs> it because it's kind of like who's the consumer there, right. the mom or the, the kid, and um, create product. Okay. And so um, a lot of tactical things, you mm-hmm. know, like writing briefs, maintaining range plans um, in terms of like Excel and line sheets and things like that, do a lot of that. But mm-hmm. um biggest responsibility is just creating a product that is for and fits the need of a consumer type. Mm, right. Because otherwise, if you're out there creating a product and you're not really thinking about the end consumer, who is it for? Who is it for? <laughs> and that was like the biggest learning. I had um, 
my boss at the time when I did kids, his name was Sheldon Donnell. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like industry vet. So, you know, he definitely knew everything right and he just kind of let me fail which was really really (laughs) Really, good yeah (laughs) and so I took a lot of hard L's at the time (laughs) and he um you know would let me brief something and he would tell me like yo it's ugly (laughs) I'd be like what it's gonna be great he's like go for it like try it out and then it would actually happen I'd be like okay you were right (laughs) so we had a lot of lessons Mm -hmm. like that where I just picked up a lot of jewels from him um and then just learning from failures and then applying that to the next, you know, whatever project it was. But it really would always kind of come down to like, who was the consumer? Was the consumer? What was the need you were mm-hmm. trying to solve for? Right. Yeah. And so eventually, um, you may have taken some L's, but you started to get some W's, <laughs> right? And uh, one of the biggest projects you worked on was was this collaboration with Adidas and Tiana Taylor. Uh, can you share a little bit about how did that project come um, to life? Yeah, that was in partnership with one of my really good friends, Dominique Debnam. And um, at this time, I was actually in merchandising. Okay, so you switched. I had moved over into merchandising, but, um, you know, I was kind of like, what's a merchant? (laughs) It's everything. (laughs) And so Dominique was making really great women's product, Mm -hmm. um, but not necessarily getting a lot of love from the merchandising team because, you know, like... Um, goals are just somewhere else. If it's grow the men's business mm-hmm. or kids or mm-hmm. whatever, it just wasn't necessarily a priority yes. for women's to to grow at the time. And so, um, because I'm super passionate about women yes. and sportswear and streetwear and all yes. those things, um, and I saw her great products, mm-hmm. I wanted to find a way to help support her. So for sure, um, we just in in tandem kind of just worked together. Like, okay, where do we see this long term? Mm-hmm. What are our ideas? Who could help us get there? What are those partnerships mm-hmm. that we can develop that can help us get there? And luckily, we had a super supportive team that um, when you brought an idea to the table mm-hmm. or you needed support, like they were really there to help, you know, see your ideas come to right. fruition. So just doing the hard work, you know, putting all the plans together, strategies, and then working with our, our team Wex, who is everybody's favorite guy, <laughs> um, was over entertainment. And we just kind of talked to him and that team about what the need was mm. and the kind of person that could that help could with help this. Amplify this. <laughs> help amplify this is Tiana. Because at the time, she was a little underground, mm-hmm. but all the girls knew her. So mm. when we went back to those consumer needs, and it's like, you know, who's helping tell your story? Who do you relate to? Mm-hmm. Every girl would say Tiana. She's so beautiful. She just is like me. Mm -hmm. She dances. She moves. You know, like all the things that they were inspired by, her style, the way she talks, everything (laughs) was like embodied into into her. Mm -hmm. And um, and he was with it. And he, you know, he helped us out and he, you know, developed that partnership. Um, And collaboratively, all of us worked on creating a product that really spoke to who she was, Mm -hmm. as well as the brand's history, Mm -hmm. telling the DNA um, story, and just bringing the the business to a a place that it wasn't um, at before. And in a really fun and unique way, we launched that that, um, product at All-Star Weekend in Houston, which is like kind of unheard of. No one at the time was ever going to launch a women's story. A women's story. all-Star Weekend right. has nothing to do with basketball, but it has everything to do with everything the culture. And in Houston and that girl, like mm-hmm. it was it was spot on and it was so fun. So. Wow. And so okay. you personally, uh, did you have a big interest in Tiana as well? 
I did. Um, I have been following her since like uh, Sweet Sixteen. Mm-hmm. That show on yes, MTV? I do. So, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I saw her on MTV. Um, I knew she could sing and dance, and I just thought that she was fire. I yeah. still do. Um, I had met her at a basketball game randomly, like one of those celebrity basketball yep. games. Or yep um we had met there and it was so fun and um i just thought that you know she is everything that we talk about when we we create these consumer muses Mm -hmm. and we say you know what does she like what does she eat where does she shop like it was her it was her her. it's like you don't really get any better than that like sometimes you're like oh looks like this but she doesn't care about this or she doesn't shop here or she doesn't wear this and this was like no She's part of the street culture. Mm-hmm. She's interested in fashion. She's connected to sport. She, you know, it was all the things. Like you couldn't really get any better. Right. And she was, you know, willing to to partner with a brand mm-hmm. and, and do some heavy lifting too. So right, and that's the key yeah. is to have a true partner. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it was what it was coming off the success of this this launch with Tiana. Um, what experience were you looking for next in your career? Really, I was looking for um, just new challenges. Mm -hmm. Like I was working on like super niche businesses. Mm -hmm. I wanted to work somewhere where the business was really large. So more Um, commercial. Yeah, something commercial. But still, at the time, I think we had realized that energy had Mm -hmm. become commercial. Yes. And before it was like, if it's energy, it's, you know... 2,000 units mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's only small. the yeah. top sneaker guy cares right. about it. Right. And it was like, actually, this energy thing could be for everybody mm-hmm. or, a, you know, a little piece of it. <laughs> so I wanted to kind of get my hands on on something like that um, and just try something different. Yeah. Yeah. And so is this kind of in 2014, mm-hmm. is this where you were like, this opportunity with Converse started to be a real thing that you wanted to pursue. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they were looking at doing something like that. And Converse business was something completely different than okay. Adidas, just like a different business model. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I was like, wow, you know, this shoe is the oldest shoe in yeah, history. The oldest right? shoe in <laughs> right? history. Um, at Converse, they call it the most democratic shoe. And I was like, oh, you know, is it? And then I got in the brand. I was like, oh my God, it is. Like <laughs> this shoe is every price point. Mm-hmm. Um when we used to talk about distribution, we would say from Coles to Colette. So yeah. like it's everywhere, yes. um, you know, but it's still cool. Still cool. It's still cool. Right. And no right. other shoe <laughs> can do that. Super classic. <laughs> and it's a beautiful shoe. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I was just intrigued by that. Yeah. And they wanted to create um, a platform where they could start to commercialize some of their um, energy product they were doing first string. Mm-hmm. And first string was like hot and heavy, but okay. it was really like, how do we kind of trickle that down and, and make commercial products or commercial successes? Okay. Yeah. And so this would have been, was this your first time moving out of Portland? This was my first time moving. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. What was it like moving to Boston? Was it Crazy. hard? Because you were, your family, most <laughs> of your family's here. All my your family's, family's here. here. Okay. Um. So that that part was really hard. My sister had just had a baby, and it was a girl. <laughs> I was like, no, yeah. leave my little niece. And so um, that was super hard, but it was worth the challenge. I did spend every little penny I had coming back home, mm-hmm. just trying to be connected to mm-hmm. my friends. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, y'all going out? Like, Me I'm too, right? <laughs> it's somebody's birthday. I'm coming home. <laughs> um, so it was definitely a challenge. And Boston is not an easy city. Yeah. I know you know. Yeah. <laughs> like you have yes. to 
hunker down in there. There's some adjustments it's, I need to make. It takes some time. Mm-hmm. The first the first winter I had in Boston was a record-breaking snowstorm. Yes. It was every <laughs> weekend it snowed. I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. And at first I was very enamored with it. I was like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. Look at all this snow. It's amazing. And then it just never left. It never left. <laughs> it never left. It I was never like left. May and there yes. was still snow. It was still there. <laughs> you got it. I remember we were there at the same time. Yeah, and crazy. I remember walking to the T and the snow was taller. The snow that had accumulated on the ground was, was taller, taller than, than me. You. And yes. I'm 6'2". Yes. And I'm like, what is happening? What is happening? <laughs> when it started to melt a little bit, I had some grass pop yes. up. And I took a picture. I sent it to my mom, and I was like, "Grass." grass. She was like, okay. "I don't get it." <laughs> like, no, I haven't seen grass in five months. <laughs> yes, like, it's real. It's this been buried. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, in this in this new role at Converse, it was uh, you were senior product manager. What were some of the things that you started to learn about that business that um, you hadn't really um, saw before in your career? One of the things um, I'll tell you: the first day I got to Converse. Um, it was like design review. Mm. So we set in design review and there's like, oh, here's the Converse seasonal. Here's the Converse innovation. And I was like, when are we going to talk about some shoes other than the Chuck? <laughs> and my friend was like, we're not. <laughs> this is the Chuck Taylor brand. And I yeah. was like, wow. So just that magnitude, like there's a whole brand that's really built around the Chuck Taylor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, when you're at a different, you're at Adidas or Nike, it's basketball. Yeah. And that consists of 50 models. Right. And then there's running right. and 100 models. And you know, it goes models. on and on. And we're like, oh, we're talking about the Chuck. Yes. So um, learning how to dimensionalize and create franchises within one, one. model <laughs> was like a huge learning for me. And then um, also just the magnitude of that business, though, mm-hmm. like doing that one model, even on just the core Chuck at the time, it was like 100 million pairs Sheesh. on one, one model. model. So it was nuts. It was yes. like, I, you know, you don't yeah. think of it like that. You're like 100 million? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you never like think about that. This business is actually huge. Yes. And so, um, you know, I was managing, if we were talking about units, sometimes 10,000, 500,000 on a really big project to a hundred million unit business just was really, really eye opening and just how this actually does make a difference in the market. Right. So it's safe to say this was a challenge you were looking for. Absolutely. (laughs) It was really big. It was fun though. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I know you you have a huge passion for uh, the women's side Mm -hmm. of the business in this industry. And at Converse, you had an opportunity to, to truly work on that. Um, and elevate that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why why was that so important to you? It's important because I think when I first started, women were only looked at as wearing sneakers when either they just finished working out mm. or it was Sunday and this was like uh, my day off. Hmm. Right. And so I would get super like intrigued on how to make them want to wear sneakers during a Tuesday mm. or at night or at work. Um, and that kind of just became the, the the thing that drove me um, the most crazy, yeah. but I was, I was the most passionate about it. Like, how do you get this girl to care? Right. And when I would go overseas, I would see a lot of like women who they had it already. Had it, already. And it was really like a, a U.S. North mm-hmm. America thing. Like we just didn't know how <laughs> we had like how, how do I wear a dress with sneakers? Right. Like what? Like there was nobody creating mm-hmm. the style. Mm-hmm. Our icons weren't doing it. No. Everybody was still wearing heels, yep. and you know, like that was really your only choice. Um, so 
I just wanted to change the narrative mm. behind that. And mm. even myself, I didn't wear, you know, sneakers every day yeah. before I started working at the sneaker brand. Mm. So I was wearing, you know, just other things, boots, heels yeah. consistently. Yeah. And then I had to kind of even talk to myself like, hey, this is, you, you got to lean <laughs> right. into this. If like, you're trying to drive yeah. this narrative, you also have to gonna make have a shift. You're going to change, you know, the way that you look at things a bit. And so um, I just learned how to wear sneakers with the things that I wore every day. Yeah. And then just realizing like, oh, you can dress it up just because you have on sneakers doesn't mean... You got hair's got to be messy right. or you can't put on your lip gloss or whatever it is that mm-hmm. you think makes you feel beautiful. Um, you can do that. And we, my team at, at uh, Converse on the Chuck team, we had a lot of similar interests. And so we would just have all these conversations and we kind of got to a place where um, I think a lot of people are getting to a lot of women mm-hmm. now where being comfortable mm. and being confident mm. had like this they were just crazy antonyms like they're so different mm-hmm. where if you were in the tightest thing you own <laughs> in the shortest skirt in the highest heel and you could barely walk mm-hmm. you were uncomfortable as hell yes but you were so confident like, <laughs> i look good right <laughs> we're like, why Why, why does that? that have to be the narrative? <laughs> why can I not be just as comfortable and still be confident? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of our goal is like, how do you create um, comfortability and still elude confidence? Hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a big challenge, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, well, today... You're the director of uh, North American Merchandising at mm-hmm. Jordan Brand. Um, now, this is a pivot from your previous experience. Uh, you had you had been in product marketing, and now you're you have shifted into primarily merchandising. Yeah. Um, was there anything that actually prompted that new direction for you? I kind of feel like merchandising has a lot of the power. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it's just really about the partnership. So everyone always asks me, like, do you like product marketing better? Or do you like merchandising better? Um, I like them both. Mm-hmm. But I feel like with merchandising, you kind of get to touch a little bit more. Yeah. And that that inspires me at work. Being able to touch the consumer, the marketplace, the account side, mm. the buying side. You know, you get to do a little bit of everything. And that helps you influence I feel like the the very end yeah, goal. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of why I like merchandising <laughs> and kind of, you know, steered towards that um, with this last role. Yeah. Yeah. And so in 2018, Jordan brand made waves, right? And it finally launched a women's brand, a proper Jordan women's brand. Um, what did that mean to you? It was huge for me. Um you know, at Nike, there's a lot of like uh, talent planning and, mm-hmm. and setting your goals and, and seeing, you know, your dreams kind of come to right. life. And when I was at Converse, um, I had a planning session with my manager at the time. And she's like, what do you want to do? Mm. And I was like, well, you know, I want to work on Jordan Women's. Yeah. And she was like, is that a thing? <laughs> I was like, nope. <laughs> but I'm sure it could be. Right. And so it was something that didn't even exist. And so when I got into Jordan, I actually came in through a different role, like a, a key account role um, that was open. I was like, yeah, sure. We'll figure this <laughs> we'll out. We'll figure it out. Right? So I came on in and there was no Jordan women's brand. Wow. Um, but there was like a little buzz, like, you know, um, 
the bigger brands interested in getting after women or mm -hmm. how do we bring more women into the brand mm -hmm. and when I heard that I just like you know kept putting my hand up mm -hmm. talking to whoever I could there um, at the time Sarah Mensa who was our VP GM of North America who was actually one of the first women in sports that I had like googled and harassed oh, wow. as, <laughs> as an intern <laughs> yeah. she was um, she was doing like amazing work with the Blazers at the time okay she was running Jordan North America and I just kind of stayed on her. Stayed just, on her. You just know, consistently. like, I think she probably even got tired of seeing me. <laughs> She'd see me coming out the bathroom. I'd be like, hey, hey, so what's up with women's? <laughs> um, she's like, dude, I'm trying to just live my life. I'm to right. <laughs> like, just leave me alone. But I just didn't. I didn't leave her yeah. alone. And so as soon as that became like a bigger conversation, I was just, I was in it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, you know, you've been, uh, you went from creating your own fashion pieces, right, um, as a kid and as a teenager to now working in merchandising at Jordan Brand, right? You, you, you've started to create this amazing career for yourself. Um, and your moment also came through an internship. Mm -hmm. Now, we have a lot of listeners that uh, they're interested in trying to pursue that opportunity as well. Uh, what advice would you have for someone trying to get an internship in the sportswear industry today? One of the biggest things I tell people when I meet with them, and I meet with a lot of students mm -hmm. and you know, um, just younger people trying to get in the industry, is be able to identify your capital, your personal capital. What can you bring to the team immediately? Because things have changed so much with the internet, mm -hmm. right? Like before you needed somebody else to tell you this is hot, this is cool. And so you would look to your interns or you look to your young people mm -hmm. to come in and like, if nothing else, you could file papers and you could tell me who wore what yesterday. But now, like with all the access that everyone has, you don't necessarily need, I don't really need somebody to tell me like, did you see what Beyonce mm -hmm. did? I instead need you to tell me something I didn't know or add some value immediately, even if it's not like exactly what you think right. that I we need. Are you really great at Keynote? add value immediately <laughs> take them all on mm -hmm. or do you make movies like whatever it is that you're really great at bring that to the table because you never know like how that skill could be utilized mm. but it is you can create value immediately and contribute people will never let you go <laughs> merchandising for women's at jordan brand north america and has been at the company since 2016 thanks so much for listening to the show this week Find out more about Latoya and get access to all of our episodes on our website at claimastories.com. And while you're there, please give us a review. If you'd like to connect, follow us on Instagram at claimastories. Our show this week is produced by BJ Fergozo and Adrian Anaya with music composed by VDOT of The Creative State. Thanks also to Oilang Maui and Caitlin Williams. I'm Bima, and you've been listening to Claima Stories.